the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. Welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca. I'm your host, Andy Longhurst, for the next hour. On the show, we dedicate the full hour to the Musqueam First Nation and their struggle to protect their ancestral village and burial site called Cessnam in Vancouver's Marple neighborhood. On Friday, August 10th, uh, it marked the 100th day of the ongoing vigil they've been keeping on the site, which is planned to be developed into luxury condominiums. We'll bring you coverage from the march and reflect upon the struggle within our very colonial present. And much to come, this is The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us. And that's right. Uh, currently, the, the Musqueam First Nation is working um, to protect their ancestral burial, burial grounds um, and the village site of Cessnam in South Vancouver, right off um, the Arthur, under the Arthur Lang Bridge um, in uh, the Marple neighborhood. And uh, they, had, they marked their 100th, 100th day of protest um, and uh, vigil, which they've been keeping an on, ongoing presence, 24-hour presence at the site uh, to prevent, prevent uh, further desecration and development on that site. And we're going to be bringing you um, coverage from uh, Friday and uh, a lot of speakers, um, a march, and uh, a number of uh, different perspectives from a number of people, both Musqueam and non-Musqueam, and people who are standing in solidarity with the Musqueam in their struggle. And first, um, in 2003, uh, Nick Blomley, uh, professor of geography at Simon Fraser University, published uh, a book, Unsettling the City, Urban Land and the Politics of Property. And uh, this really contextualizes a lot of the issues of struggles over land in cities um, like Vancouver with uh, a, a colonial history and a colonial present. Again, professor of geography, Nick Blomley. To talk of land and displacement, particularly in a place like Vancouver's downtown east side, and not to consider colonialism is to commit an unforgivable but not unprecedented oversight. Colonial dispossessions and displacements cast long shadows that, as we shall see, are still with us. For the making of a settler city like Vancouver or New York or Melbourne was predicated on significant remakings of property. A relatively liberal provincial policy gave way in 1864 to the assertion that Native people had never owned land, thus rendering extinguishment irrelevant. This white myth declared that, quote, British Columbia had been in essence an empty land, devoid of society, government, or laws, all land but also directly owned by the crown, end quote. With land ownership vested in the crown, reserves were simply a gift from a generous government, Federal policy was somewhat different. Native people were construed as wards of the state, with reserves defined as land held in trust for their benefit. The Royal P Proclamation of 1763 acknowledged Native land ownership, except where it was extinguished by voluntary cession. For Edward Said, the relation between imperialism and land is a fundamental one. Quoting Edward Said, at some very basic level, imperialism means thinking about, settling on, and controlling land that you do not possess. End quote. The alternative tour of Victoria similarly describes the city as a fully imperial, 
imperial space, created through acts of colonial dispossession. But if those dispossessed are erased from the official account of Victoria under the white logic of, quote, high, highest and best use, end quote, the post-colonial tour of the city, while remembering their historic presence, also now places them out of town, quote, unquote. In both cases, the city has become a white space, its aboriginal presence apparently confined to the past. Yet while native dispossession is complete, land in British Columbia remains profoundly unsettled. For over a century, First Nations in British Columbia have sought recognition of their rights to the land through delegations, legal petitions, and direct action. It was not until 1991 that the province of British Columbia gave partial acknowledgement of Aboriginal title and began treaty negotiations with native peoples. That continue, often proving frac fractious and controversial. With a few important exceptions, the recognition of the city as a post-colonial space has been limited. Although urbanists have registered the contemporary ethnic diversity of the city, quote, blockages restrain recognition of the cultures, bodies, and economies of those who inhabit the lands on which the, those cities now stand. This is an important oversight, given the continuing effects of colonialism in contemporary life. Historic injustices continue to resonate and provide a basis for contestation over the, the histories and geographies of settler societies. But such conflicts are also rooted in ongoing tensions as colonial practices and representations are reproduced and contested. As noted above, the colonial encounter continues even within the city. Historic conflicts over land continue to have a contemporary relevance to urban settlers and indigenous peoples alike, shaping a very specific local politics deeply marked by the historical legacy of the colonial dispossession of indigenous peoples. Indeed, in terms, the terms of history and geography are themselves contested. To the extent that the lands upon which colonial settlements were established were held in some form by indigenous peoples, the settler city requires their dispossession. It is easy to assume, however, that the creation of the colonial city led not only to the dispossession of indigenous people, but also to their continued erasure from city space. Contemporary Aboriginal geographies can easily appear as indistinct scratches on the face of the country, especially in the city, which, as a visible and naturalized space of modern settlement, appears hostile to an enduring Native presence. I want to contest this. While dispossession is complete, displacement is not. Physically, symbolically, politically, and politically, the city is often still a native place. In this, I make a distinction between dispossession and displacement, such that the former refers to the specific processes through which settlers came to acquire title to land historically held by Aboriginal people. Displacement, while related, refers to the conceptual removal of Aboriginal people from the city and the concomitant emplacement of white settlers. Both dispossession and displacement were, and still are, vital to the making of the settler city. Placemaking and the enactments of claims of, to land are social and political projects. They are both immensely powerful, but also, to the extent that they are enacted, are partial and incomplete. For a settler society, displacement is a social achievement, but also an aspiration. It is an accomplishment and also an assertion. To, the, to that extent, displacement is open to contestation and remaking. Disposition and displacement as active projects are very much about land as property. Property is both the point of these struggles and the medium. Struggles over the meanings and moralities of property have been central. Law, in this sense, must be conceived not simply as an instrument of colonial domination, but as a means through which colonialism has itself been produced. In order to understand the historic dynamics of colonialism and its contemporary echoes, it, it helps if we attend to the geographies of land. The meanings and practices associated with land as property have proved critical, yet are inseparable from its spatialities. The town also emerged as a vital economic and political node in a broader colonial network, directing flows of capital and command that opened up resource frontiers in the colonial interiors, all of this, of course, was pivotal to the process of colonial dispossession. But colonial towns also quickly emerged as speculative spaces. Layout was designed so as to facilitate the acquisition and transfer of urban land. Vancouver's initial expansion, it has been argued, was largely a product of land speculation rather than expansion in the production of goods and services. Boosterous publications marveled at the leapfrogging of prices and the fact that areas of wild land could become first-class property in a matter of months. 
Vancouver is a purely business town, noted one observer, a land of speculation, above all, in city lots. Nick Blomley, professor of geography, I'm reading an excerpt from his 2003 publication, his book, Unsettling the City, Urban Land and the Politics of Property. And uh, I think Nick Blomley does a does a quite a wonderful job connecting the issues of colonialism, imperialism, and uh, the construction of colonial uh, white cities as they as they were seen, and the politics around property. And at the end, talking about how Vancouver um, has for um, many many for many years. Um, been seen as as the land and property playing the role as um, as for speculation and, and um, in, intertwined and interwoven into these capitalist processes. So I think uh, that's an important uh, way to look at a lens to look at uh, the city and a lot of these processes of dispossession and our colonial present in the city of Vancouver. Now I want to go to uh, uh, the first part. Um, this is from the welcome uh, uh, of uh, the march uh, beginning at Granville and Seventieth. And uh, the march made its way down to um, the site in the 1300 block of Southwest Marine Drive. Um, but here's the welcome um, for everyone who arrived um, on the morning um, on Friday, August 10th. On behalf of the Muscovian people, we thank you everybody that's come to walk with us over to Sesnam. We are honored to you standing here with us. And I seen one of our old chiefs from across the water. I can see him there. He he makes this for my success now. I can see him. And after uh, making our way down to Sasnam at, uh, at Southwest Marine Drive, just under the Arthur Lang Bridge, a um, number of speakers, um, both Musqueam and non-Musqueam. And first, um, I want to play uh, two uh, uh, clips from Cecilia Point, who has been the spokesperson for Musqueam on this issue, and also uh, Musqueam Elder as well, speaking on the issue. <laughs> my friends and relations for coming from all over the province and from other nations around Canada and like Alex said what we're doing here is we hope will be an example to protect our burial site and our heritage site uh, yesterday the Minister of Aboriginal Relations had a press conference at Canada Place and Rhiannon and myself and a few members went down to make our presence known that we're there she had a big announcement to make. What's it going to be? Well, she just said the same thing over and over again. You know, it, it's as Rhiannon says, it's complicated. It's private property. <laughs> so we never gave that property away. We never told anyone they can build on top of our burial site. So, uh, yes, we have this cash offer on the table. You know, we're waiting to see what they want. But the province still extends the development permits, the this is why we're here. They're still allowed to go and dig there. So we're standing here, you know, for a hundred days. So I actually challenged the Aboriginal minister yesterday and I said, what a beautiful legacy it would be for this premier to leave us with, to protect all First Nations burial sites all over BC. So I asked her to take that message back to the Premier because the saddest thing that's happened is other nations from around the province has come down here and told us, us too, 
They're digging up our bodies too. It's happening to us too and no one cares. Our bodies are in boxes. Our bodies are blowing down dams. Our bodies are ground up into asphalt. Who else would they do that to? They need to stop doing it. So I want her to leave that legacy for us. Protect First Nations burial sites. British Columbia is only 6% privately owned. The Crown holds most of this land and it's ours. And they can't destroy our land without asking us. Thank you very much, So I'd ask the next government coming in to please protect our burial sites. You've come here, we have witnesses. We want you to know that we're putting our faith in you. Thank you very much for being here. At this time, we'd like to call one of our elders from Musqueam and also a, a, a one of our councillors in the in the past. So we'd like to call uh, our our good friend and good uncle and advisor forward to say a few words. Delbert Thank you. I would like to express my thank you to Jenny Kwan for being here. I really appreciate that. And you too. And the nurses, the union, and the other uh, representatives that are here. But what I really wanted to express is that if you go back to the 10,000 year ago ice age, our people actually lived way up close to the mountains. And when the ice age happened, our people went south. My grandmother told me this story. When the ice age stopped and started receding, they came back up. They were very surprised when they got back up to the Chilliwack area, all the land that had been formed down here. So they kept moving west as the land progressed because they loved to get their salmon and everything from the salt water. And uh, I would suggest that this must have been formed in the early stages of the, after the Ice Age. So they probably lived here. And then as it continued to proceed down, they moved down to where we are today called Musqueam which became known as Musqueam when the surveyors came around and set up our reserve system. But our people lived here on the lower end, closer to the water, naturally buried our people up here on the higher area so that they would be protected. And that's what we're doing today is we're still trying to protect those people that are placed here as our ancestors uh, for a long, long time ago. So it's something that I deeply respect that I've been down here pretty well every day since this started. And uh, I really thank all those that have come down and supported us. It's been very wonderful. It's unfortunate our chief and council can't be here with us today, but I'm a former chief. I was eight years chief of Musqueam, and I accomplished many good things in those years. So I just hope that we're going to succeed in getting province to do what it has to do and hopefully we'll get Christy Clark to finally smarten up. <laughs> I'm not going to hold my breath though. So thank you. And again, that was Cecilia Point, spokesperson for Musqueam um, on the issue of Cessnam. And uh, over the course of this struggle, um, been uh, very much in the news and uh, uh, a, a wonderful spokesperson uh, bringing this issue uh, to the fore. And you also heard from an elder, uh, Delbert, talking about uh, the history of the Musqueam and, and the land and the ancestral importance of uh, Cessnam. And I do want to mention that this is the city, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM and CJSF.ca. And we are broadcasting from unceded Coast Salish Territory. And now we're going to go to continue um, speeches from uh, the uh, the the um, 100th day um, vigil march and rally um, at Cessnam. We're going to hear from uh, MLA, NDP MLA Jenny Kwan, 
and uh, from Vancouver, and Scott Fraser, who is the NDP Aboriginal Affairs critic, as well as former COPE counselor Ellen Woodsworth and um, BC Nurses Union uh, uh, President Deborah McPherson and the BC Nurses Union uh, came out in public support um, of Musqueam and marched uh, with Musqueam from Granville and 70th um, on uh, their 100th day um, uh, action and gathering um, on August 10th. NDP, Jenny Kwan, you have a few words. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, hello, everyone. And uh, first of all, um, I thank the First Nations, the first people of this land, for allowing us to gather, for inviting us to come and participate with you and to honor you and to support you. I'm here with uh, our critic, Aboriginal relations critic, Scott Fraser, who's also been here uh, alongside in your support in this struggle. And I bring greetings to you on behalf of Adrian Dix, uh, the leader of the official opposition as well. Uh, I know that uh, our colleagues are standing with you and have been with you from the very start. You brought a delegation to the legislature uh, a little while ago uh, in the BC legislature and Scott, uh, as a critic, led the issue in question period in asking questions of the minister about what actions they're going to take uh, to honour and to respect the Aboriginal community, the Musqueam community in terms of this site. And it was disappointing, Scott, eh? more than disappointing in that there were no answers forthcoming. And what's clear to us is that you have proposed solutions. You have offered up solutions to resolve the matter. You have said to the government that there is an opportunity to do a land swap, to honour the people, the remains that have been buried here, to respect and keep intact the historical site, uh, and to move forward in that way. For some strange reason, the provincial government has refused to acknowledge that, to refuse to engage, to find that solution. And as I understand, even the developer wants to move forward and wants to engage in that land swap opportunity. So you actually have the solutions at hand. And somehow, the BC Liberals have refused to engage uh, in finding resolution to the matter. And of course now we're at a juncture where permits are being renewed, even though the government knowingly, even though the provincial government know that this is a sacred site. I think across all nations, people will know and acknowledge that when you have our ancestors' remains of the deceased who's been buried there, that is a burial site, that is a sacred site. It's sacred in so many ways, spiritually, and it, you know, and that speaks to decency as people, as people, and how we need to honor each other in that way. And that in the backdrop of the Aboriginal community, the historical traumas and experiences and dis discrimination that you have endured, that I think there's an obligation for us as non-Aboriginal people, as government officials, to find a meaningful way to resolve these issues with the community. And so we stand here in support of your call. We um, have a little sign, like many of you, uh, in support of your call. And we've been calling on the provincial government to do the decent thing. We have done it in the legislature. Scott has led the fight as a critic in the legislature. And we've written letters to the government and we continue to call on them to find those solutions, to engage with you in a meaningful way and find the solution. Today is the 100th day for your rally. You should not be here. We should not be here. And there is a way to end this in a peaceful way, in a manner that is respectful. And so we call on Christy Clark to do the right thing and to do this, the decent thing. And uh, we stand with you in your fight as you continue to raise the issues. And I want to say that many people support your call. Many people who may not be able to be here, we've run into people in the community and they've expressed their support. So please know in your heart that there are many people who are standing with you. And uh, let's end this and let's have the government step up to the plate. They are the only people that's missing in action right now to resolve this matter.
covered this very well uh, with respect to the Musqueam people and the land we're standing on and the elders and the youth and uh, nations from all over the province, groups from all over the province uh, in support. And this is complicated and it's simple. The simple part is it's about respect. It's about dignity. It's about, it's about listening. And, and we have everyone at the table listening and willing to work except the provincial government. And I, I don't know how you have a piece of legislation called the Heritage Conservation Act that orchestrates the destruction of one of the most important heritage sites in this country. That's appalling. And we have raised that numerous times in the legislature. We have introduced private members' bills to try to fix that act, and the government refuses to even bring it forward for debate. So here we stand 100 days later, a solution at hand and a government seemingly unwilling to be at the table with respect. So we'll continue the fight, and uh, I want you to know that no matter where I go in the province, uh, First Nations all over the province know about what's happening here. They're all watching. They're all supporting. And, uh, and um, I think the power of that unity will, uh, will eventually bring justice to the issue, and we'll stand with you till that happens. Thank you. On behalf of the people of Cessnaum and the Coast Salish Territory, we'd like to thank you for your support. Thank you for the extra little bit of power, little bit of uh, extra hand trying to get through the government's thick skulls. <laughs> you know, trying to make them realize, you know, that we need to take care of our ancestors. You know, as people of culture, just because they're laying in the ground, we don't just leave them there. We still take care of them. Their, their, their soul is still living, even though their, their body and their bones is, has gone into the earth. So we'd like to thank you for your support once again. Thank you. At this time, we'd like to call forward Deborah McPherson from the BC uh, Nurses Union. I'd like to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good uh, morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Deborah McPherson. I'm president of the British Columbia Nurses Union. I'm also an Ojibwe. Mississauga of the New Credit uh, Reserve is our homeland right now. Uh, and I'm here today also with the Aboriginal Leadership Circle of the BC Nurses Union, all present here supporting you today. One of our members wears a sign that I think is really appropriate. Do you want to hold it up? And that is, hey, Christy Clark, families first. Those exposed remains are someone's family. And that's what's important here. Thank you. We represent about 32,000 nurses across the province. And if you're wondering why nurses are supporting you, it's because we understand fully that in order to advance the health and social well-being of our members and our communities, that we cannot deny traditional practices and cultural security. That severely compromises the health of our First Nations, Inui and Métis people. We believe that the actions and fundamental principles of reconciliation are mandatory for Aboriginal peoples to live healthier lives. We believe, however, that reconciliation is not a one-way street, and we strongly encourage our provincial and federal government to utilize this opportunity to build a stronger relationship with its Aboriginal peoples. <coughs> Honoring the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous people by giving you freedom to protect and maintain your cultural traditions and this sacred site is the right thing for our governments to do. The lack of proactive engagement by our governments for the last 100 days 
is not the right thing to do and it is not acceptable. We want to acknowledge your willingness to work with all parties involved and a desire to turn this traditional site into a public cultural heritage park. This gesture of giving back to all people through education and sharing is the epitome of reconciliation. Your actions over the last hundred days and beyond are a beacon of hope and determination for all Canada's Aboriginal peoples. And we are honoured, honoured to stand with you and walk with you and will continue to do so for as long as it takes for a stronger and healthier tomorrow, not only for our Aboriginal population, but for all Canadians. Thank you. I'd like to thank you, the BC Nurses Union. I'd really like to thank you for taking, uh, quoting our own premier, well, not my premier, but quoting the BC premier on her own words. We always say, you know, you gotta be careful what you say. I really hope Christy Clark Here's her own words. Family first. It doesn't matter if it's in the past, 4,000 years ago. It doesn't matter if it's today. It doesn't matter if it's tomorrow. What she said is family first. So I really hope she hears, you know, everyone's words today. I'd like to thank you for bringing out her own quote on her own words. I'd like to thank you. This time we'd like to call forward Ellen Woodsworth from the City Council to come forward and say a few words. My name is Ellen Woodsworth and I'm here on behalf of COPE, the Coalition of Progressive Electors. I was a City Councillor, but our party doesn't take developers' money, so I lost. But I'm here as an organizer and an activist on unceded traditional territory. I'm here to support the Musqueam people. I'm here to say that this has been designated a heritage site since 1933, which means the provincial government has a legal responsibility to, to ensure that it stays a heritage site. The First Nations sisters and brothers and children here today are saying we need to support everyone's ancestors not just the ancestors of Christy Clark or the funders of Christy Clark. We need to be here and stand up for this site to belong to the people who used to have this land and still legally have this land. We're here today in great numbers to support a hundred days of people standing up on the rights of First Nations people here and across this country. This is something we must stand firmly to because if we can't respect our heritage. Whose heritage can we respect? We stand here with honor and pride and we stand here calling on the Premier to provide honor and respect to the legislation that exists today that she's legally bound to respect and to find the money from the provincial coffers, not from the Musqueam people, but from the provincial coffers to find a site to develop on and not disturb this land. She has a legal responsibility to do that. Thank you for bringing us together. We will stand shoulder to shoulder and we will fight with you to get the provincial government to do what is their legal right to do on my relations. I'd like to thank you, Council Helen, for being here supporting us. You know, you brought up uh, a heritage site since 1933. And you know, the funny thing is, just over here, where, where 70th turns into Marine Drive, there's a heritage house there. And they say it's over 100 years old. You know, a house. And we're just asking for help for our ancestors who are over 4,000 years old to take care of our ancestors. So 
this 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 heritage that was brought up in 1933 you know they really really need to follow what they come forward with to the people how can you protect a heritage house that's only a hundred years old on a heritage site of Cessnam and then you can't even protect human remains that are over 4,000 years old yeah, that's what our government doesn't understand. We're just here trying to help our ancestors. And this is the city on CHR 101.9 FM, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM. And you can find online streams for both CITR and CJSF at CITR.ca and on CJSF.ca. This is an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions, and you were just hearing a number of speakers um, from the uh, August 10th, um, uh, 100th day uh, marking the Musqueam struggle to protect the ancient uh, village and burial site of Sesnam and protect their ancestors. And uh, we're going to take a quick break, but we've got more um, coming up, uh, including um, more commentary from the BC Nurses Union and why it's important to stand in solidarity and, and the role that organized labor can play in these struggles for social um, justice, among other things. And also um, we hear from uh, Spencer Lindsay, CITR uh, Spencer Lindsay, speaking uh, in depth with uh, Cecilia Point of Musqueam um, and some other uh, commentary from Tristan Markle about uh, the responsibility that the city has to uh, address this issue and bring justice. Stay with us. With the vast amount of changes happening in the world, it's almost impossible to get a clear picture of what's really going on. We are trapped within the logic of capitalism, leaving us unable to imagine what comes next. The Extra Environmentalist brings the perspectives of people who can see the whole picture and are ready for whatever comes our way. Tune in to the Extra Environmentalist every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. This is the viewpoint that makes all places the same to you. Distance between Vancouver and Buenos Aires, 11,000 kilometers. From August 31st to September 9, the Vancouver Latin American Film Festival will bring Buenos Aires right at home. www.vlaff.org Stylize your room this semester with Bed, Bath & Beyond at UBC Bookstore starting August 10th, as well as a great selection of supplies and technology. Don't forget to pick up some tasty snacks and fresh local salads in their new convenience store. Located at the corner of East Mall and University Boulevard, UBC Bookstore, where your purchases support UBC Campus. And welcome back to the city here on CITR 101.9 FM, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM. And we're going to go back to our coverage, um, reflecting upon 100 days of Musqueam struggle uh, to protect uh, the ancient uh, village and burial site of Cessnam. And now we go to uh, a short interview that I had with Lisa Walker of the BC Nurses Union. Can you tell me why the BC Nurses Union is out here in solidarity with Musqueam? Uh, the BC Nurses Union is out here in solidarity with the Musqueam people uh, to help to protect uh, the sacred burial grounds of their ancestors. Um, we're very saddened uh, by the disrespect that's been shown. And uh, we think that uh, showing respect by... Um, Protecting this burial site will do a long way to have reconciliation between First Nations communities and peoples of British Columbia. So, What do you have to say about the province's um, inability or uh, lack of interest, what seems at this point to be the case, of, of stopping development on the site? Well, I, that is absolutely astonishing to me. I cannot believe that they keep allowing the permits over and over and over again. 
uh, it sickens and saddens me that they just don't stop issuing uh, the permits to do the to do the digging. Not that the digging's been going on, but they keep renewing the permits. And I think even if they just stopped that, it would show some measure of support for the Musqueam people. So, are you optimistic that? This will come to a resolution um, to respect the burial grounds of Cessna? Uh, absolutely, I'm optimistic. I think that uh, the Musqueam people are certainly not going to um, give up. They're going to stay and protect their ancestors. And, uh, and uh, we're, we're certainly going to be here to support them. And I, I'm hopeful, yeah. What, what role does uh, organized labor play in coming out and supporting Aboriginal struggles or standing in solidarity, not necessarily with this, but in any other type of um, movement that's fighting for social uh, justice? Um, you know, that's absolutely one of my proudest uh, reasons for being involved in uh, organized labor and, the, you know, the politics of it. Because organized labor, uh, the labor movement, are the ones who stand up for human rights and diversity um, all across this country and this nation and, and probably internationally as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm proud of that history for organized labor. Any final thoughts or comments? Uh, I just would like to ask the uh, government of British Columbia to um, give the support that the Musqueam people need to resolve this issue. And that was Lisa Walker of the BC Nurses Union. And now uh, we go to an interview um, with, uh, brought to us by CITR's Spencer Lindsay, uh, speaking at length with Cecilia Point, who has been the spokesperson for uh, Musqueam on this issue. You know, one of the reasons we're here on 100th day is because there's a lot more fight to go. But I would like to congratulate you on 100 days of occupation. And that's quite a feat for the community that puts a lot of stress on the community. How have you made it happen and who do you have to thank for that? I have to thank our elders because, uh, as, you, as you said, it is hard to keep the community engaged. And there's some days when it's pretty thin down here. But our elders come every single day. I think about, you know... Delbert Guerin and Mervyn Point and Bob Guerin, uh, they come every single day. And I, I just, I don't know how they do it, but they, this, is per, this is that important to them. They, they sent us down here when we, they discovered about the bodies and, and we follow their example. So, What have you learned and what are you passing on from those nations that are coming? Well, what I've learned from them is, uh, is to participate with government doesn't work. The government has a duty to consult with First Nations, but it doesn't mean they have to do what, what we say, as you'll see uh, with the pipeline when that starts uh, coming. Um, sometimes they'll uh, just have meetings with random ne- members of, uh, of nations, and then they'll tick that on their box, we consulted with the First Nation. So uh, I heard the, the Minister of Aboriginal Relations say the other day that First Nations do not have veto power. And uh, she said that in, in reference to the pipeline, but... Uh, I mean, we have veto power, we have our own feet, we have our own bodies that we can stand in front of uh, the government's actions and private companies' actions that we don't agree with. So uh, what I've learned from other nations is that you have to resist that powerfully because the government does not listen to, to what we're asking them to do. What have you learned over the course of being here 100 days? What's changed and uh, what kind of lessons have you well, I've learned a lot. Um, I would have to say that I've met a lot of people. And so uh, the kind of lessons I've learned are, are huge because there's elders that sit here and tell us their stories. And I think we get so busy in life in our jobs and our blackberries and, you know, uh, sitting in front of a computer or a TV all the time and not actually talking to people. So I'm going to try not to get emotional, but I have to say that you know, I grew up away from this community. I grew up in Richmond. Um, my father went to residential school and he had a lot of hurts. He was a member of Squamish and Musqueam. And his parents separated and he ended up going to uh, residential school. And he never got the opportunity to tell me the stories. So since I've been here, so many of my uncles and my aunts have shared with me stories about my father. I never knew that he was a great speaker and a strong man. I mean, I knew he was funny, (laughs) you know. Um, We did know the family, but we really didn't connect with the family until we were older. 
And uh, so we live in other cities around the lower mainland. One of my sisters lives on the island. We certainly see our aunts and uncles and our cousins here in Musqueam, but really not to the extent that we've seen them every single day. So we've learned so much about our culture and the, the stories from the past, like the dances and the songs that you see here and the Musqueam runners, those are all thousands of years old. And you really feel it when you come here. I remember one time, the first time I went canoeing and it wasn't even in a traditional way. I just got in a canoe and went out on the water with some friends and oh my God, as soon as your oars hit that water, you can feel and hear the voices of your ancestors. And Deborah Sparrow told a really nice story here last night, just from a movie she watched, Amistad. And there was only two slaves left on this slave ship. And they said, we're the last, we're the only ones. And one said to the other, no, we're not alone. We're going to reach back to our ancestors and bring them with us. And they're going to be with us. So I think I've gotten to know my ancestors too by being here and I feel their strength. So thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks to CITR's Spencer Lindsay for bringing us that interview with uh, Musqueam spokesperson Cecilia Point. And now also uh, Musqueam uh, brought us a very interesting uh, fact and a connection between Century Group, which is the developer um, that is planning to develop the site into condominiums, and uh, the BC Liberals. And uh, here's, uh, here's uh, that connection. shoving them around and putting them in a Rubbermaid tote is okay. Shame on them. So this message is going to the Century Group. And the Century Group, I have a lot of questions about how they conduct themselves. We went to greet Christy Clark last week at a luncheon. And the sponsor of that luncheon was the developers, was the Century Group. So how deep is that relationship? Is that why these permits keep getting renewed? Because the developers are buddy-buddy with the government. That's not right. That's not how governments should be conducting themselves. We want transparency. We want to know why. They shouldn't be doing what they're doing, and they should know better. And we are going to go and tell them that. And there you go, money and politics. And uh, now a conversation with Tristan Markle. And I uh, caught up with Tristan uh, today. Um, This is now a a number of days after um, the August 10th uh, march and rally marking the 100th day of um, ongoing um, uh, around-the-clock vigils. Um, But Tristan Markle is uh, a founder and editor of uh, TheMainlander.com, and it is Vancouver's place for progressive politics. Check it out at TheMainlander.com. But Tristan and I were talking about uh, the role the city plays in all of this and whether they should be um, absolved from any responsibility and whether uh, they have a responsibility to step in with their land use powers that they hold. Tristan, first, can you tell me a little bit of the history of the development um, permit process and uh, really tracing it back to the city? Yeah. So it is the case that the city is the entity that approves the development permit, not the province. And in this case, um, the developer applied for a permit back in 2005 and uh, there was a conditional approval uh, uh, around the end of 2007-2008 for a development permit on the site but it was conditional because as everyone knows it's a national historic site and there have been hundreds of Musqueam remains found there over the past hundred years so it's conditional upon archaeological work and so between 2008 and fall 2010 uh, there was some consultants and the province did archaeological work on the site to uh, meet the requirement of the development permit and then in the fall of just this past year under Vision Vancouver uh, uh, on uh, September 8, 2010 the planning department of the city of Vancouver uh, cleared the received a ministry from the uh, letter from the ministry the provincial ministry and and cleared the archaeological process and then that allowed the 
city to go forward with final approval for development on the site in January of just this past year. So uh, the funny thing about that is, although the province sent a letter to the city on September 8th, 2010, saying that archaeological situation is fine on the site, just two months later around Christmas, because of pressure from Musqueam, the province issued another permit to do more investigations about the state of the site doing archaeological work. And that was just December, around Christmas of 2011. And uh, one month after, uh, after, after that, the city issued uh, final approval. So Musqueam were notified that remains were discovered. Is that correct? And that, that would have been the first indication um, when they would have... Really, this would have been uh, very public and started to become a public um, battle for them. But f- from what you said, why wasn't this an issue back at the rezoning stage um, at the city level um, when this site was uh, being rezoned for these for the condo development that that is is planned? It's a it's a really good question, Andy, and I think that. Um, it's important to ask why Musqueam wasn't consulted more fully at that time. So any time between 2007 to um, final approval of January 2011, there doesn't seem to have been any consultation from the city uh, with Musqueam. And there doesn't seem to have been any public process, uh, like a public hearing or anything like that, um, despite the fact that there was, it was a conditional approval and, there, and archaeological work clearly needed to be done and so obviously community work needed to be done. So, you know, the city should have done that. And then you're asking about the finding more bodies. So though the, the final approval was last year, um, uh, there was, like I said, more permits to look into what was going on. And as they looked into what was going on, they found a couple of bodies just this March. And, um, uh, actually, it was April 29th they found some bodies. Um, they found two bodies when they started to look, do some more work. And But, like I said, before that, Musqueam was starting to catch on what was going on. And in December of just this past year, Musqueam put pressure on the ministry to look into it further. And in March, actually, there was an emergency meeting at Musqueam, at Musqueam Council. And they passed a motion, uh, quote, speaking to the need for dialogue concerning the development and requesting the developer cease and desist work. And uh, that was before they found these latest remains. So the, the point being is that there wasn't consultation from the city with Musqueam all along. Um, there was clearly more archaeological work that needed to be done. So there's plenty of... Uh, it was not appropriate for the city to make final approval of the development permit. And over the past year, there have been plenty of reasons for the city to um, not uh, to undo the approval of the development permit because the archaeological requirements, which are really more than archaeological, it's, this is about um, you know one of the biggest First Nations village sites on the west coast. So um, the city, I mean, hasn't taken any leadership in in um, and in consulting the community, consulting with Musqueam, consulting with the public, realizing that there's way too many unanswered questions to go forward with the permit. So, in your opinion, should the city um, and can the city rescind uh, that development permit? And ultimately, what responsibility do they bear? And as as we've seen, uh, Gregor Robertson, mayor and um, fellow vision councillors have been very vocally supportive of Musqueam's struggle to protect uh, Cessnam, but uh, what responsibility do they bear in, in all of this? So I think, it's, I think it's really important to emphasize that the city has not been supportive of um, Musqueam uh, of stopping the development permit. The city, what, what Gregor has done is try to blame the province, and that's old passing the buck technique. He doesn't take any, any responsibility over under his administration approving a development permit without consulting Musqueam and uh, not taking responsibility for having made the wrong decision. So, like, leadership would be for him to recognize 
that his counsel had made the wrong decision. And given that the permit was always, all along, conditional, it was a conditional permit upon meeting archaeological uh, requirements, and given that it hasn't met them, they should. it's not so much about repealing the development permit, it's just the right time to say, we haven't met those requirements. And although maybe in January we thought that we had, clearly we haven't. I mean, that was a big mistake for Gregor to say in January that they had met those requirements. That was a huge mistake. So for him, leadership wouldn't be blaming the province, but taking responsibility for giving the go-ahead to something when there was ongoing archaeological work starting in just this December. So, Do you think, um, do you think there's a political side uh, to, to this story and, and the fact that a provincial election is looming? Yeah, I think that was pretty clear at this 100... 100 uh, days of protest rally that was held at the site last month, uh, last week. Uh, it was pretty clear that the NDP um, wanted to blame blame all of this on the Liberals, and that makes sense for the provincial party to blame your opponent to hold your opponent accountable. But it doesn't make sense for you know uh, some a municipal, municipal or civic-minded person to not hold Vision accountable. Uh, so it looks like what the NDP and Vision together are trying to do is to um, make this a provincial issue because there's a municipal campaign coming up, try to make Christy Clark look really bad, uh, even though it's the, city's, it's the city that issues the development permit. Um, and uh, it's pretty clear that that was happening and that, and that uh, people really don't want, like people in the NDP really don't want anyone to blame the city because it's very important for the NDP to have this as one of their issues they can use in the campaign, so they don't want people to blame the city, even though the city does have some responsibility. And i just say one more thing, though. It is a really important thing for the province to change the Heritage Act in general to protect sites like this, so Christy Clark shouldn't be let off either, and the main reason is because this is happening to First Nations across the province, and they shouldn't have their their village sites and burial grounds desecrated either, so there should be a province-wide change to, you know, province-wide change as well. Okay, well, Tristan, we'll leave it at that. Thanks so much for your thoughts on this, and uh, we'll see how it progresses. Cool, thanks, Andy. Okay, take care now. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. And that was Tristan Markle, a, a founder and editor of The Mainlander, Vancouver's place for progressive politics. And you can find The Mainlander at themainlander.com. And he was commenting on the role that the city plays in all of this and whether they should be let off the hook and, and the responsibility that they bear uh, in uh, reevaluating whether that development permit should have ever been issued um, and, and really taking a closer look. So... That has been uh, the city for uh, this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, this is CITR 101.9 FM, and the program is syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM. And you can find the program and past podcasts at uh, the website, thecityfm.org, also on Facebook and Twitter. The Twitter handle is the city underscore FM. And um, we're going to be back next week with... Uh, more critical urban discussions. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in and have a great week.